From my home office in Washington, D.C., this is Everything About Hydrogen. I'm Andrew Leadham, Associate Director here at Inspiratia. And on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be speaking with Mo Vargas, President and CEO of Bayotech. And joining me from across the city is Patrick Malloy of the Rocky Mountain Institute. And from across the pond, Chris Jackson of Proteum. Let's get started. So guys, how are we doing? How are things? What's going on in your worlds? All good on this end. It's been an exciting week. Um, obviously, these things are always delayed, but uh, Nicola um, has just released some of their numbers for um, the Nell electrolysis units they're using for refueling, and that got everyone excited because it was quoting $350 a kilowatt. So, uh, you know, in the nerdy word of hi- world of hydrogen, um, you know, everyone's suddenly buzzing that uh, potentially costs are coming down even faster than expected. So uh, that's been that's been pretty exciting, actually. Patrick, how are you holding up? I'm doing good, but Chris, admit it you're 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 in good mood and excited today because you went fishing. That's that's the real thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard I heard about that. That that now that's an interesting topic right there, dude. <laughs> I did go fishing. The one thing that is quite funny, and I think again I have to thank Bjorn Simonson from Nell for this factoid, but I thought it was quite interesting. One is that. Linking hydrogen to fishing, apparently for fish farms and fish stocks, you require um, a kilo of hydrogen per kilo of fish weight uh, on salmon farms. That's apparently the numbers in Norway. So actually, electrolysis uh, is a hugely interesting area for the Norwegian fish farm industry and I guess probably for the Scottish and others because you're creating all this oxygen byproduct, which is really valuable. So, you know, fishing and hydrogen. There you go. Uh, that's not an application. I would not have thought of that use case. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Just wait for the next uh, protein press release, Andrew. It'll be there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, the other reason as well is I have to thank uh, I have to thank members of the UK Hydrogen Fuel Cell Association for electing me to the executive committee. Um, so that's also oh, been exciting. Oh, yeah, that's so, uh, right. This is your, your newest executive role. You're just, uh, you're racking them up, Chris. Yeah, well, we, uh, we've also just joined the, um, uh, the Hydrogen Advisory Committee for Renewables UK as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, we're sort of, I think everyone, whether they're in the UK, Europe, Australia, US, you know, and wherever our listeners are, are tuning in from, you know, is probably aware that right now, the kind of post-COVID recovery and the idea of a green recovery is pretty live. So being actively involved on the policy side is, uh, is you know, something that I think everyone is, is getting their hands into. And I'm pretty sure, Patrick, you guys at RMI must be fairly active too, hey? Yeah, you know, busy times. I don't know that the sector has has remotely slowed down. If anything, it seems to have continued to accelerate over the uh, last couple of months. But, um, but yeah, definitely interesting times definitely definitely a lot going on and obviously as as you say like, like you know noise and news of the green deal and um you know the prospect of um you know various stimulus packages coming out of covid relating to uh hydrogen as a as a vector for for uh decarbonizing our our kind of energy and fuel sectors is is a is a is really positive so yeah this is i think there's a lot going on i don't think you have to look too far to find yourself very busy in this space well, guys, on that note, speaking of being busy, I see that Mo is joining the call as we speak. So let's get started with our interview. So, Mo, let's start with the big picture. Uh, take us through what is Biotech and how did you guys come to the hydrogen space? Biotech manufactures low-cost on-site hydrogen generation equipment. You know, And really, our goal is to provide our customers with the lowest-cost hydrogen in an easy and modular fashion. 
we don't want them to worry about technology risk. We don't want them to worry about hydrogen production, but to focus on what impact having access to low cost hydrogen could have to their business. That, that's really our focus as a company. Why is it that you needed a startup like Beartech to come in and do this kind of disruption in the market? Why haven't the big guys kind of come in and done that? And, and you know, do you feel that there is a sense of kind of uh, remorse among some of the bigger players that they've been slow to the game? Or do you still feel like uh, they're lagging behind and, uh, you know, part of the mission with Beartech is to kind of give them a bit of a kicking for being so slow off the mark? Yeah, that, 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 that's a great question. You know, most of the discussion around SMR is usually regarding massive central plants, which, you know, are super challenging. You know, they're very capital intensive. They require a significant portion of their output to be contracted. And, and you have the whole issue around hydrogen being so light that it transports one third of the energy content of natural gas, right? So it requires quite a bit of compressing and liquefaction to transport to the end user. And that's, that's why most of the hydrogen plants are big and they're located close to the big users. I think when you look at SMR, um, on-site SMR, there's a great opportunity to be able to leverage off of that $1.5 trillion existing natural gas pipeline um, that already exists um, and be able to provide hydrogen right to the customer where it's needed. And I think that's the, really the, the, the big difference. I think there, there has been, the, the big companies look at that uh, or they have technologies like that that could potentially do it, but really their core business model is to build big. Right. They're not thinking about the smaller applications. I'm not actually sure very many people really understand what we mean by sort of modulus demethane reforming. Have any idea of what your units would actually look like visually? What sort of actually goes into one of the sort of uh, packages that you put together and what the sizing is like? So maybe almost taking a step back, you know, there are a lot of people listening to this podcast. What on earth does a biotech system actually look like? What's in the box? And sort of how does the kind of sizing and different pieces come together? Maybe you can kind of give us almost that little bit of a basic kind of overview. If I was looking at it, what on earth would I be looking at and what actually is in there? Yeah, so, so that, that's, uh, that's a really good point. We should talk about that. So a typical unit for us is a, is a 40-foot container. And inside of it, we have um, uh, a, a furnace that you're using either, you know, biogas or you're using um, natural gas to heat up the process because you have a catalyst that um, operates at about 850 degrees C. And then we have a uh, steam and um, natural gas or biomethane that are coming into the process into our, what we call our steam methane reformer. In our case, it's a 16 foot tube that's probably about, you know, six inches in diameter. And so this tube um, has about three to five feet of it inside of the, of the furnace. And there, you, you know, we, we create the sand gas that comes out. We have a water gas shift that's also designed by us um, inside of it. And what's unique about what, the way we do it is the, all the form factor we have here and the heat transfer really reduces the amount of energy that's required. And that's where we, we, we really develop, um, you know, our core patent data. And then you have, um, you know, controls, um, uh, elements for safety, obviously, and um, and then you have a, a PSA on the back end. Um, so um, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's a it's a smaller package. And really, our approach to the market is we don't want people to get into the, you know, be so concerned about the hydrogen generation part. We want to be able to to cover that for them. And, you know, we realize that customers are seeking holistic solutions and we want to make that as risk free as possible to them. And that's why, for example, our hydrogen generator, our little package, our modular package um, as a performance guarantee uh, backed by one of the largest insurers in the world. Um, or, you know, so, um, and then we also want to make sure that as we're, you know, approaching them, um, that especially on this, with everything that's happening in the markets and the volatility that we have a lot of different flexible capital solutions from, 
equipment ownership to long-term leases to short-term rentals and to even simply be an off-taker of hydrogen. You know, we have the uniqueness of being partnered. We just announced a deal uh, about a month ago with DLL um, for our leasing program. And they're a $30 billion equipment leasing company owned by Rabobank. Um, we also have flexibility, and that's something that's unique about our container, is that um, each tube is about 200 kilos. And so we have the ability to put up to seven tubes um, into it. And so we offer uh, flexibility to upgrade size in the field without having to remove the unit. And I think this is especially helpful, and I'm sure you guys have seen it in some of the conversations you've had with other guests, that um, when, you're, when you're building out fueling stations, you know, it's very challenging to get the balance between the infrastructure and the vehicles, trucks, and buses. You know, normally at first, you know, it's only about 200 kilos, um, but people want them designed to 500 to 1,000, and, but they don't have the number of vehicles to take it off yet. So in our solution, you can, you can kind of work your way up. And so I think that was really useful. And so thank you. I think you really covered off all the nice uh, elements of that, Mo. I, I guess maybe just making it even more obvious and taking it to the next level. Uh, I'm a customer. I come to Bayotech and I say, um, I like to install a Bayotech unit on my site. Uh, you know, uh, I can presumably lease finance it, as you re- as you referenced. And I'm guessing those leases, the term is is flexible. I don't know if you have a fixed pro forma for that, but I'm guessing it's fairly flexible on, I can do four years, I can do 10 years. I don't know how far out you go, but I guess there's some flexibility there, yeah? And then and then the other piece is kind of what actually do I need on the site, right? I mean, do I need to have a, a water connection? Do I need a gas line connection? Do you bring stuff into site? Do I need it to be wired? Like how kind of plug and play is the unit, if you'll forgive that terrible turn of phrase? No, no. It, it actually, we, that's that's um, you know we challenge our our engineering team to absolutely have make it as plug and play as possible. So, you know, it's um, the great thing is on the front end, you just need gas, natural gas, water, and a little bit of power. Um, uh, and then on the on the back end, and then we just need obviously a, a place where we can we can drop the, the the container. And then on the back end, it's going to really depend on your application. You know whether um, you know we need to uh, compress it normally. Um, you know, usually if it's going to be for, you know, vehicles or if it's going to be for vehicles, obviously to, to 700, if it's going to be for, um, buses or trucks to 350, and then, um, then, then there's a decision to make on the amount of storage that they want to have on site. Um, depending, you know, you can use, um, the different ways, different companies that do storage in different ways. So I think it depends on what you're looking to do. So we don't uh, typically cover, uh, well, we haven't typically covered a, a kind of methane-related or fossil fuel-related uh, kind of reforming or conversions a lot. But, but you know, as, a, as the dominant technology in the space, I suppose it's a, mature, it's a mature play. I guess the question that kind of jumps to mind is, you know, why, why given that we kind of have a, an advanced understanding of, of kind of conventional methane reforming or other forms of reforming, What's, what's different about you guys or, or your approach that, that kind of uh, gives you an advantage or a play beyond, you know, kind of, as you mentioned, scale and whatnot? Our core technology, the uh, SMR Bayonet, was born in, uh, at the Sandia Labs, and they spent many years and, you know, over $50 million developing our core technology. We, uh, since then, have taken an exclusive license on this and have added uh, four patents on top of that, and we've been able to come up with a product that um, allows um, for very low pressure drop um, and and for a catalyst with a certain form factor, which allows it to transfer quite a bit of heat within the unit. You know, if you look at um, that, it creates tremendous amounts of efficiency, which in turn leads to a lower carbon footprint. 
And, you know, and I think that's something that's, uh, you know, really important to us is that we don't want to only do a, an awesome, efficient on-site bayonet, but we also want to continue looking at ways that how can we continue to drive down the carbon footprint around what we're doing, right? Especially because most of our team has a background, you know, including myself, of really trying to take advantage of finding ways of reducing waste in different forms and, and creating more environmental attributes around what we do. And and so maybe then a question sort of following on that is, uh, we've talked about this theme on the show before, but there's this kind of idea of gray or blue hydrogen now and then green hydrogen later. Um, You know, is there a sense within the kind of Beartech team, you know, and yourself that part of the value of Beartech is that you kind of can just start very quickly to get that hydrogen infrastructure up and running at relatively low or relatively simple cost without a huge amount of upgrades, without the need for that big, complicated infrastructure piece. And, you know, yes, it's methane maybe in a lot of places today, but that just helps you to get the whole piece running up. Is that sort of the the thinking or is there actually a kind of a slightly different take that you guys have on it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that, <clears throat> there's a component of that, you know, and it, and it you know, uh, when, when I go to a conference once in a while or, you know, you, you if you're in, in the Twitterverse, you hear a lot about all the different colors of hydrogen. And the reality is, you know, all hydrogen at the end of the day, hydrogen is hydrogen, just like electricity. I think we saw uh, something similar in the electrical industry. You know, I've spent quite a bit of time in my career there. And, you know, we had a big focus on pushing renewables. And, and as of 2019, I believe we were, we're at about 17.5% renewable, at least here for, for the U.S. So I think there is a great opportunity to be able to leverage off once we have an infrastructure in place, um, and the the newer technologies start getting to parity in terms of pricing and, and competitiveness, not talking about it, but actually getting there. Um, I think we are all wanting better solutions that are more efficient. You know, on our end, we really, really want to do is, is take the SMR and put it on it, put it on its head, right? And say, how can we make this better? Challenge all our scientists we have on staff and people and, and working with other companies too, right? You know, whether it's um, through the efficiency that we get in in our product, uh, whether um, you know we have a big um, initiative around focusing on use of biogas, which obviously would make that hydrogen carbon neutral. Um, you know, obviously taking out the whole transportation leg is big. Um, and then, and then finally, you know, we're working with both DOE and uh, several carbon capture companies, are looking at some carbon capture technologies that we can pair up with our uh, hydrogen generators. And we've even put in, you know, a, a, a call out to companies and invited them to come join us in Albuquerque. And we'll be happy to tie one of our generators to their technology to demonstrate some carbon capture. Playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, Mo. So, you know, um, right now today, if you went and spoke to a lot of people in the public and you said, you know, there are various different ways that you can kind of create hydrogen. And this is why we should be looking at hydrogen as well as all these other decarbonization technologies. Um, a lot of people might kind of turn around and go, well, why do I want to keep using natural gas if we can already do something like electrolysis? And, you know, they might also kind of go, how does the carbon capture element work with sort of a reforming process as opposed to a pyrolysis process where you get like a carbon black output that's kind of easier to move rather than the carbon capture piece where, yes, it's modular, but then you've got to do something once you've captured that carbon in that kind of more remote location. So how do you kind of respond to those sort of pressures? Yeah, I think the for um, the person who's involved in the space, uh, you know, understanding that we have to build an infrastructure to get us there um, and we need to be able to get to to a price point where you can get... um, industry to engage, right? Today, there's a $120 billion existing hydrogen economy, right? So clearly, there are a lot of people who have made the decision 
that they want to use um, hydrogen and most of that being produced from, you know, carbon-based sources. Um, I, th- I think there's an opportunity to com- to convert and make things better, but I think it's more about evolution than it is revolution. I mean, I think evolution will get us there. I think that, I think industry is very engaged. We have quite a few customers come to our uh, visit us and see our technology perform in Albuquerque. Up to you know, prior to the pandemic, we were having a visitor a week and some really big companies that you you would recognize. Um, several of them have, have decided to go with us as their preferred um, you know manufacturer for for onsite um, SMRs. And what we're doing is we have a, a very strong commitment to finding ways um, of making it better. And and I think uh, you know your 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 point there, Chris, of you know whether it's capture or whether it's turning into a product, we prefer a product too. So I think I, I use capture more in the generic uh, term. Um, but we want to find different ways of solving it. Um, for our solution, you know, um, capture and um, and p- putting it underground is not going to be a good fit, right? Because we want to be center of the fairway with our solutions. Um, and if you're trying to, you know, store it underground, it just, you know, that, that's probably something that makes much more sense for the massive plants um, where they can find and they can locate themselves um, in those type of places where they, they have capacity for that. Yeah, and mo- further on that, I mean, what is the size of the reduction of the emissions profile of Baotech's uh, methane reforming technology? And I mean, what is that arc for improving uh, improving that profile going forward? What does that timeline and arc look like? The evolution of that technology? Yeah, I mean, there, there are really four areas to it, right? You know, if we when we use biogas, it's a carbon neutral solution. So uh, there's a tremendous opportunity to uh, you know capture the six million tons of methane that are available, for example, just here in the U.S. coming from uh, anaerobic digestion from wastewater treatment and from landfills, right? That that's just a great use. And we all know how detrimental methane can be to our environment. So, you know, having that taken out and used uh, in a better way, it would be great. And we, we also have a call out and um, to, you know, wastewater treatment plants and landfills and, and, and farmers who want to have an offtaker for that, you know, we're, we're super interested in talking with them about that. Uh, and second, you know, I think, sorry, go ahead. No, so so I mean, I just just on your first point, as you mentioned, it, I just thought maybe we just ask if you could ask talk a little bit more about um, you know, you talk about wastewater treatment. It's a really live area. A lot of people are interested in it. Um, there's obviously a lot of impurities in the biogas. So you know, is there? I imagine also the biotech technology. Maybe that's one of the areas of innovation you guys have is that you're quite tolerant about the types of impurities in that biogas, which I know sometimes is quite an issue for membrane-based solutions. Yeah, for, for us, it's mainly around sulfur, right? And fortunately, there's some really good off-the-shelf um, small sulfur, uh, desulfurization technology that exists. Um, so we use that for, for the front end in our plants. Everything else just becomes a matter of, um, you know, there's definitely going to be some cleaning of that biogas um, as, as produced. And, you know, and, I, and ideally, you would like to have it to a renewable natural gas quality. That being said, we can take some impurities, but what happens is, um, you know, like any process, the more uh, impurities that you take in main, most of the time, what you see in, in, in methane collected from those type of sources is a lot of CO2 in there. Right. And the CO2 obviously is inert. So it just dilutes down the amount of um, processing of hydrogen that we can do. Right. And then it'll just pass through the system. Uh, yeah, sorry. No, that's that was great. Sorry, I know. Yeah, I know you cut you off. You were doing the. You're going through the four pieces about the decarbonization arc curve, and I'm I'm sorry. I, as everyone on the team knows in the podcast, it's a dangerous thing to let me start talking because uh, then you have to get me to shut up. Uh, as Andrew's learned to his detriment, hosting this. It's a. It's I deal with it every day, Mo. It's an <laughs> ongoing challenge. That's good, but fortunately, with a uh, Zoom, we get enough of that nowadays that uh, that we're 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 talking over each other, right? Yeah, exactly. 
So uh, second I was going to talk about was the uh, on the carbon capture side that we, you know, we've already talked about a bit. You know, we we you know, I'm not going to pretend that we've got it figured out. You know, we are we're definitely still in the process of talking with several companies on the carbon capture person. We have brought in a, you know, Harvard, Harvard MBA student for McKinsey who's leading this effort for us. And she's, um, she, you know, she's doing a good job of talking with a lot of different companies, as am I, as a, are many of our executives on our team. And we're just trying to find something that makes sense. And something about, you know, my style and in terms of how we run the organization is we're very execution oriented, right? So my background is really uh, last mile of commercialization for the last half of my career, right? So I like taking companies that have usually environmental attributes and that are in the uh, energy and chemical space and then taking those to market. Um, so we have a, always have a really big focus on, okay, who's there or who's pretty close to there that we can take and tie together and not as much spending time on PowerPoint or, or, or trying to greenwash and pretend that we're doing something that's not there, right? You know, we want to find some solutions. Um, and, th- and I think something that people should be considering today is it, it's not all about, you know, um, 100% carbon intense or 100% carbon neutral. I think there's an evolution here and there's an opportunity for us to take many of these um, improvements that we can make that will allow us to move things forward, yet still be, you know, demanding on what we want to see environmentally. Right. You know, and, you know, and a good example of that is California. Right. You know, you have a you know, you have incentives that are surrounded around, you know, a third carbon neutral. Right. Uh, type thing. So I think we can do something similar on the carbon capture side, because when you look at carbon capture, at least for us, for, you know, for every hundred dollars of you know carbon capture or we'll call it carbon solutions that we can we can put in place. It's about a one dollar adder because we can produce the, the, the hydrogen for as low as you know dollar seventy. We, we can afford that dollar adder, right? And we can afford maybe two, maybe $3. So we can capture and we can get there in different ways. And, and that's really what I'm, I'm pushing our team to uh, go and, and find for us on that front. So Mo, just to, to kind of move on to the, the kind of, um, I mean, I suppose drill down a little bit into the um, kind of the target use cases and applications. You know, if, if you're looking at kind of smaller scale, uh, kind of decentralized kind of uh, production. What what are you targeting today? And I suppose what what markets are you expecting to be able to play a, a, a kind of big role in in the future? You know, this has been probably the most interesting part for me. You know, join, joining the company about a year ago, we only had a single uh, business development gentleman, and and we had a very broad technology solution. We were we we're going out and pitching. We decided at the end of the year that we needed to narrow it down and really productize uh, what we were doing, especially because the company, I don't know if you're aware of this, but our company originally was set up as, as on-site ammonia. That's really was the main driver for what we were doing. Um, but as we were on our path there, I realized, you know what, you know, ammonia is about 80% hydrogen, and we really need to get our, our hydrogen side of the, of the business down first. So we decided to go ahead and create three catalog numbers the uh, H2 200, 500, and 1,000. And basically it's 200 kilos or 500 or 1,000 kilos per day. And then we've added in you know, world-class sales organization and brought in some high-level executives from ITM, Nell, Air Liquide. And then we've also signed 10 agents around the world that are working on a success fee. And I, I knew that was a great signal that we had the ability to build such a team um, is a strong indicator that we have a great proposition for end users of hydrogen. You know, and, and that really all came together. You know, it takes you a while to recruit and everything. And we, the whole team came together in January. And this has led us to about $300 million in proposals in just five months and in about 15 different applications. So we're seeing opportunities and obviously in, in light vehicle, heavy duty vehicle, um, forklifts, uh, chemicals, 
you know, steel, glass manufacturing. Yeah, there's, there's a lot around um, what's happening with uh, uh, telecommunications and the 5G towers with fuel cell backups, um, you know, marine applications, uh, uh, aviation applications. It's been amazing. It's really, and it's one of the things that as, you know, as, uh, you know, COVID impact came around, it really, we, we rode, you know, fortunately uh, right through it, right? And it's kept us very busy because all of the different applications that you have, Obviously, there's oil and gas too, and, and surprisingly, they've stayed they've stayed very very engaged in this too. Biomethane and, and kind of I guess renewable natural gas. Those markets seem you know a little bit kind of I don't want to say underdeveloped, but but you know facilities maybe a little bit you know scattered across the the kind of the continent um, or across different markets in, in different kind of patterns. It's not necessarily entirely uniform. How do you go about kind of securing that? And, you know, do you do you work with, you know, local utilities or do you get direct supply? How, how does that kind of feed into your kind of kind of general structure and, and planning? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, what, one of the things that's really cool about, um, you know, that gets us excited about working with wastewater treatment um, and with landfills is that they're both close to urban areas. Right. Because that's where all of the waste is coming from. Um, so we, we think that it's a great opportunity. Many of them, um, most of them are owned by municipalities that this tends to, you know, project development, uh, you know, tends not to be their focus area, right? Because their focus area is to do their core competency. And, you know, having a background of having raised, you know, billions of dollars in the past and working with quite a few different um, types of uh, capital, uh, we've got some really good partners that are interested in supporting this in terms of bringing capital to, to the party. And, and we know, and our team knows how to develop projects. Uh, combined with some partners that we're working with, especially we're, we're looking, we have one firm that uh, we, I can't mention yet, but we have a firm that we're working with that is quite a strong um, penetration into the wastewater market. And they, they tend to work quite a bit with them. So we're looking to formalize a partnership with them where we can approach uh, wastewater treatment uh, globally um, in this partnership to be able to offer the service, been, but not only bring the solution to them, but bring the solution well capitalized where we can even, you know, we'll even take care of the contracting of the hydrogen and the application. So that way, you know, they can, they can solve their methane problem and we'll take it from there. And Mo, you, you mentioned the magic word, which is of course capital. Uh, and I would know that uh, Biotech uh, closed the series B fundraising in uh, 2018 at, at 12.5 million. And I uh, just wanted to see, you know, get from you, what are the next steps for growing biotech and, and what is the potential for development outside of North America? Yeah, no, sure. The, we, you know, we're in the midst of our Series C round uh, currently. So it's been uh, uh, been a lot of fun uh, going through a capital raise in the middle of uh, COVID uh, <laughs> and, and all of the uh, other issues that are occurring around the world. But fortunately, you know, we're fortunate to have uh, about six parties in the data room currently. So uh, people are pretty excited about what we're bringing to to the market. Um, really the application for those funds are, are, are mainly around uh, increasing our, our product catalog. We've got uh, plans to add to our, besides our 200 kilo, 500 kilo, and 1,000 1, kilo uh, lineup, we want to ramp up and add a 5, 10, and 30 ton per day hydrogen units. Uh, and then we also want to add our onsite ammonia units in late 2021. So a lot of the, uh, what we're raising for is to, to add to the product catalog. Um, you know, one of our uh, strategic investors today is a uh, major uh, ammonia producer, a lar- one of the largest fertilizer companies in the world. So um, there's a great opportunity with, with uh, being able to work with them and put quite a, sell quite a few units if we can get it right. And in, in addition to that, we'd like to launch a, a gas as a service 
in certain key markets around the world where we can offer low cost hydrogen to customers to be able to, you know, kind of uh, get a base where we can build and, and, and get into those markets and really get some strong uh, penetration and where there's, there's needs on site. And then we continue to grow uh, in terms of, uh, you know, markets around the world. You know, we've got direct sales team in the West Coast of the U.S., Texas and East Coast, U.K. and Canada. Uh, we have agents in the U.S., Canada, Ireland, Germany, Poland, South Korea. And we're actually launching in Japan this week. So and uh, we still have a few holes we'd like to fill in, you know, in France and Australia and the Netherlands. But, um, you know, we feel really good where we're at considering we're five months into it. Yeah, that sounds like you guys have got your hands full <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, I mean, maybe then just as a final question, Mo, I mean, one of the things worth asking here is the scaling challenge, right? Because um, people always do underestimate how enormous the scale is. Uh, you know, I was looking at some figures today saying, you know, if they put down 50 gigawatt of electrolysis by 2030, that's still only 5% of global shipping demand, right? I mean, it barely touches the sides. And then if you look at like battery electric vehicles, we've had what nearly not quite 10 years, but you know, certainly five serious years plus billions of financing. And there's 6 million battery electric vehicles on the world roads and 1.4 billion passenger vehicles. So it's always like, how do we get there? And how do we scale? And how do we actually make sure that we're raising financing in advance of what we need to do, but also not over egging it? So kind of, what are the challenges for Beartech that you guys see in terms of scaling up your proposition? And how is the business actually addressing or trying to go about addressing some of those scaling challenges? Yeah, no, that, that, that's the challenge that we, that we all suffer through. And, uh, and I, th- and I think you've kind of got to have two parts of your question. I think the first one is that that's a bit of the challenges are all, you know, if you look at it, you know, going back to that, the example of renewable energy, right? It's amazing to me when I went to look up the stat of, you know, I thought, you know, in preparation for the call today, I thought, I wonder where we're at with renewable energy for North America. And I was surprised and disappointed, quite honestly, to hear we were only at 17 and a half percent. And that was generation, not sold, right? Sold was a, you know, I think it was about 14%. So, as I thought of that and I thought, wow, and it feels like, you know, wind and solar are everywhere. You know, how are we going to do this in, in, in the hydrogen world? And I think that's why we need to be supportive of hydrogen. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited when I hear about the Nicola deal and what Nell's doing there. I'm excited for them. I'm excited for us as an industry. I don't I, I don't think it's a time to be divisive. I think it's a time to be, you know, supportive of all types of hydrogen and, and you know, and really getting out there and, and, and help a transition and really find where the niche is going to be. Because I think it's. Like everything, like most things in life, I think it's going to be a portfolio. You know, I think there's going to be a role for, for sure, for you know, electric vehicles. Um, but for sure, there's going to be a, you know, uh, transportation-wise, there's going to be a strong role for hydrogen vehicles when it comes to, um, you know, lo- heavier and, and longer loads that we're going to see. I'm done, guys. I think I've uh, hassled Mo enough. Is there anything else you uh, you want to interrogate Mo with? <laughs> wow, you've 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 rendered you've rendered Chris speechless. You've answered yeah. all his questions, Mo. That that is a first. Well done. Well, I, I better jump off him while I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't give him too much time. All right. Well, Mo. Uh, thank you so much for, for making the time. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, thank thank you guys. I appreciate it. You know, hopefully um, we can we can get you to uh, you know uh, give give the SMR uh, onsite SMR brethren a you know uh, a, a fighting chance here. You know, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. No, it's an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, we hope uh, you can come back and join us uh, after you guys close that series C. No, absolutely. No, no. Great, great uh, talking with you. Great meeting you. And, and great job, guys. I, I enjoy your podcast. I've I've made it uh, mandatory for our team to listen to because I said I've learned a lot listening to uh, what you guys talk about. And I love your style that you're not afraid to ask the tough questions, which is what we should be doing. 
That's that's the best praise we've ever gotten. Mo. Thank you. It's been a really exciting morning. You, you've set me up now, Mo, for a final question, which is, what do you think we've missed? There it is. What questions should we be asking that we're not asking? And who should we be having on that we haven't had on? Yeah, uh, we go out. Oh, good, good, uh, good set of questions there. Uh, let's see. I, th- I think you set yourself up there. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have hung up. I, I didn't take my own <laughs> advice. <laughs> uh, you know, I think continue to drive toward. You know, as you guys can tell, I'm a pragmatist, right? Um, and and I love execution. I love getting stuff done. I think that's to me the most exciting thing. And, and you build because that builds momentum to do more things. Um, and, and I think continue to make sure that, um, you know, that we're looking at all the solutions. I'm, I'm trying to think of what and you guys have covered a lot of different angles um, on this. Um, have you have you guys done a lot with government? I can't remember with government officials. and I'm not sure how. No, we haven't. Mo, you are speaking my language. I've been yeah. pushing government for a while. I have to I'm fighting back Chris and Patrick, though. So, yeah, now I might actually uh, get some support for this. Yeah, we had Orkney Islands Council, but I think that was about that's as far true. as we that's, uh, that's about as far as we got. I know you really wanted to get um, uh, also the governor of Washington State. Is that the yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. You kept telling me. Well, we'll see. That was a, that was that's what we call. Yeah, that was, that was a, a bucket list one right there. But we'll see. <laughs> so there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really view your guys' role, from my perspective at least, is to normalize the information as in, in this in this era of fake news, right? is to try to normalize the information as best as possible, right? So it's, it's kind of more factual. And I think some of the questions you're asking in terms and, and the comments, especially towards the end, they're saying, listen, despite all these efforts and all these things, it's still not enough. So, you know, let's focus on doing more, right? And then as, you know, price parity comes in and for, push everybody, right? Push us on the SMR side to be better and, put, and let's create the infrastructure so that the other players and other technologies can come down in price, just like we did with solar and wind. We've done it before, right? So we know we can do it. Now, I think Mo has articulated a, a call to action for the, for the show. I, I, think, I think he has. Well, th- thanks again, guys. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Take care. Chris Jackson, what did you think of that? Ooh, uh, yeah, so I enjoyed it. Um, I think he's, you know, I think the thing that's great is that Mo's a pragmatist, and I think... Uh, <laughs> It, the nice thing about the SMR approach, which I do, I think I've got more of an appreciation for, as I've spoken to Steve Jones, who works with Biotech in the UK and also with um, Mo on the call today, is that sense of, you know, it, these guys, are, you know, everyone is on the same team. And I think that's the sort of slight nervousness people have in the green energy industry is that this is kind of, you know, anything that smells of methane is kind of immediately, you know, natural gas immediately, everyone's going, ooh that's potentially not very good for climate and potentially not very good for sustainability. But actually the more you look at it and you realize, no, this is just about how do we deal with some of the early scale up and implementation challenges. And this is one of the few very effective ways to do that. So I thought it was useful. I really liked how he also just made it very tangible for people, you know, when he was describing what does a biotech unit actually look like? What are the different pieces of the puzzle that go into that? You know, what are some of the financing elements around it? Some of the things like uh, warranties, because these are really important issues as well that I think um, it's harder to find information about online. So I think it's probably been very useful for a lot of the listeners. Certainly for me, quite interesting to kind of get that context. What was your take on it, Andrew? Yeah, well, I mean, I was pretty curious to see. I had not seen uh, a business model like Biotech's before, right? So I didn't uh, realize uh, that there was uh, modular SMR leasing. That struck me as a, a new a new model. So I was very curious to hear about that. But uh, 
One thing I was also wondering about, guys, and I don't know, I meant to ask Mo, but what is the, do you guys know what the lead time is for, uh, you know, say, ordering a an SMR unit from Biotech in terms of getting it installed? We need to get Mo back on the line. <laughs> <laughs> right. By definition, it's a relatively, it, it's a small, it's a modular setup, right? So in theory, it's relatively fast, right? I mean, I'm just curious about like what the deployment cycle looks like, but you're right. I probably should have asked them Mo about that. Yeah, that's that sort of stuff is going to be production scale as well, right? So, you know, demand capacity to produce units at, at you know, I think he said he had three models. So, you know, or three capacity models, like, like, you know, how much are, is the, is the unit standardized across all three or are there three kind of, you know, separate comp- uh, kind of sure. component strands and whatnot. So there's a lot, there's a lot in that. Um, I would suggest we do actually have to, have to get Mo back and ask him. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, I, the, one, the one thing I'd also just say, though, Andrew, is that they're not the only uh, company that also does uh, modular SMR leasing. And I just think it's important for listeners to know that so there is another company out there called High Gear sure. that's based in uh, that's uh, European based um, that also does leasing. The only thing that's a little bit different that is worth knowing is that where uh, Biotech have sort of a, a very large multinational um affiliate of rubber bank that's providing the lease financing what Hygear have actually done a lot of the time is they've actually raised bonds on the dutch stock exchange and then they've used the financing from that to actually provide the financing for a lot of the leases so they've allowed public investors and private investors to get access to funding for leasing on um on their smr unit so so that is quite different it's a very different approach to how they've secured the funding for those types of projects, but they do have a similar business model. But I think as far as I know, those are the only two, and that's Patrick, you can think of a third. I can't, I can't, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think, I think, as you say, rightly, the financing models are, are, are distinctly different, but it's also reflective probably of the, the kind of different, uh, different markets in which they both emerged. Right. So there, there's, it's an interesting aspect to go down the leasing route for sure. What did you think of the interview, Patrick? What was your highlight? So yeah, it's it's. It, I think the first uh, answer Mo kind of gave. I think I think he he mentioned that you know when we think SMR particularly, we think of these huge facilities that that are you know pumping out you know, huge amounts of hydrogen, right? So we we think immediately of a kind of a centralized structure, and you know more and more. And one of the I should say one of the most active kind of conversations in the space is around storage and transportation of hydrogen, right? So you produce it, how do you get it to the the end user? And and consequently, there's a huge amount of interest in whether this is going to be a decentralized market in terms of production and, and supply, or whether it's going to be kind of a regional market, a local market, a, a global kind of you know market. And you know when when you get to uh, kind of small modular systems, you're taking out a huge portion of the logistics chain, you're reducing some of the complexity around, um, you know, transportation, you know, for instance, the costs around, for instance, developing facilities to to manage to to hydrogenate or dehydrogenate the uh, LOHCs or ammonia. Uh, You also avoid the costs around, you know, cryogenic storage, and potentially you can reduce kind of compression costs, right? Because you, if you store locally, right? So there's a whole heap of, of kind of interest around this. There's a, you know, there's a lot of questions around application scale and size, but, you know, this is, this is a very interesting space. But where this gets to the, another kind of key issue here is that, you know, we talk about 
the kind of transition of the the sector and 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 dramatically reducing carbon emissions both by virtue of using hydrogen and also you know decarbonizing the hydrogen production that exists today and simply put you know the ramp rate that will require if if projections are right right so the projected size of the markets in 2030 or 2050 is absolutely staggering it is a very very substantial kind of ramp rate and i think chris spoke to this a little bit around the the scale around shipping, for instance, this is a big problem. So we we most certainly need innovation that will lead to reduced carbon in in existing facilities. This is you know this is one of the big plays around kind of CCS. So so when when Mo mentioned that he's engaged with CCS uh, kind of manufacturers and obviously interested in in kind of uh, kind of the use of that, it's it's a big kind of. Uh, area where where there needs to be kind of innovation and there needs to be ad- adoption um, because you know on, on an you know on a kilogram per kilogram basis you get about 8.6 8.9 kilograms of co2 per kilogram of hydrogen produced off smr with when you don't capture anything um, and you can capture on unconventional smr around maybe 60 percent on the back end so so you know when you can reduce the carbon the associated carbon uh, a kilo of hydrogen that is used you you have a, a potentially very significant impact so yeah it's it's very interesting it's very uh timely and and i guess folks are going to really really start looking into these spaces an awful lot more uh precisely to determine where where you want to actually use these systems and where you're going to pick alternative systems and then obviously there's going to be a, a scale uh, scale aspect to this as well. Well, something we didn't touch on here as well, which I think comes into the scaling and, and coupling piece um, and actually even tangentially touches on the CO2 um, SMR issue that you were referring to, Patrick, is something that um, I've talked to Steve Jones from Bertech about before. Um, and Steve Jones, people who don't know, was um, working with ITM Power in North America before he joined Bayotech. So he worked a lot with them on their electrolysis solution. And actually, the integration of electrolysis alongside SMR is a really interesting area because, as sort of has been alluded to a little bit um, by Mo there, you know, if you are a local authority or a small business who's thinking about hydrogen, you want to sort of start with a smaller unit and scale up. Uh, with electrolysis, that's typically been quite challenging to justify. Um, but, you know, you want to have that kind of pathway to a longer term option. So, you know, being able to pair electrolysis with uh, SMR is actually quite an interesting application for getting those two things. And it also can help to address some of the concerns you mentioned, Patrick, around biogas and biomethane, uh, you know, where potentially there's a there's a certain amount of variability in terms of supply. Uh, that can come from biomethane, especially longer term forecasting, because most uh, biomethane production tends to come from waste products. And we're obviously all trying to reduce our waste. So in a sense, we're also reducing the feedstock for biomethane, um, or we're sort of trying to anyway. So so electrolysis then complements that. Um, and, and then the sort of third piece of the overlap, which is interesting, and we touched on this on the last um, Q&A episode, is the synthetic fuels piece. Because if I'm going to be producing CO2, relatively high purity CO2 from an SMR former, there's also then the ability to take uh, potentially some green hydrogen as well um, from an electrolysis unit and combine them and then create synthetic fuels. So th- there's a couple of interesting elements that kind of play in as a nice overlap piece uh, here. And and uh, certainly I can see that for a lot of uh, organizations that have a gas line infrastructure, it may be far more appealing in the short run 
to look at things like taking some of the gas supply and producing on-site hydrogen for transport than it is to make significant upgrades to um, grid capability or electrical wiring on site to provide EV fast charging for large vehicles, for instance, or for a large fleet of uh, smaller commercial vehicles. So I think those are some areas also that are really interesting. And obviously, you know, we ha- we never have enough time on these shows to go through all of the potential use cases. But I thought that those were a couple of areas as well that, um, you know, are important to mention and are a nice part of fleshing out why people are looking quite closely at this modular SMR approach. Yeah, I, I agree. That does it for us today at Everything About Hydrogen. Thank you to Patrick and Chris, as always, for their unparalleled enthusiasm and hydrogen expertise. Also, we love to hear from our listeners here at Everything About Hydrogen. If you have any questions for us or our guests and would like to get in touch with us, please send us an email at podcasts at inspiration.com or find us on Twitter at About Hydrogen. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. It really does help us promote the show and reach a larger audience. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will join us again next time on Everything About Hydrogen. Hydrogen.